Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Institute for Policy Innovation podcast. We're coming to you today from the studios of Salem Media Group in Dallas, Texas. I'm Merrill Matthews with the Institute for Policy Innovation. Today is March 2nd, 2023, and I'm joined today by economist and financial analyst Don Luskin. Don's 40-year career as an entrepreneur, uh, executive, investment manager, and commentator have just really given him insights. He's the founder of uh, Trend Macro Analytics, and prior to that, he was a vice chairman and uh, co-chief investment officer at Barclays Global Investors. I knew of Don long before I knew him because I read the articles he's written over the years in the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post, Investors Business Daily, Reason, Harvard Business Review, and National Review. So, Don, thank you for joining us. My great pleasure. Now, you are a big advocate of the economic principle that inflation in the economy is tied to the money supply. So walk us through that connection. Well, everything we buy in the economy, goods or services, is priced in money. And uh, the great Nobel Prize winning economist Milton Friedman, uh, also a great friend of liberty, uh, said inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. And what he meant by that is that even though you experience inflation when you go to the gasoline station and the price of gasoline is a dollar higher to today than it was last week, he would argue that that's not because the gasoline price went up. It's because the value of the dollars in your wallet went down. Now, what determines the number of dollars in your wallet? Well, there are a number of things. Uh, the Federal Reserve uh, can determine the amount of money in the economy by changing interest rates. When they lower interest rates, they make uh, more uh, lending activity between, say, banks and borrowers. And when you borrow money, that effectively creates money for you. You didn't work for it. You, you just signed a form at Citibank, and all of a sudden that money shows up in your checking account. So that gets measured in the money supply. Another way that money can get created, and this is the one that we're experiencing right now, and I believe is responsible for the inflation, is in the time in time of an emergency like uh, COVID, when we locked down the economy and had a 15% unemployment rate and uh, restaurants and bars were all closed and you were locked in your home, uh, in order to keep that from being a depression, under two presidents and two congresses, $6 trillion worth of stimulus spending happened. And most of that was direct income supports that was wired directly into the checking accounts, money market funds, savings accounts, certificates of deposits of ordinary people. Rich people didn't get any of that stuff. It was all means tested. So it all went to the, the bottom half of households in the United States. There's never been a jolt to the money supply like that in history. Never, mm. ever. The money supply went up 27% in just one year. No, no, there's no precedent for that ever. If a very unusual crime occurred, if a very unusual crime occurred, imagine that instead of somebody stealing the money out of your wallet, a very clever counterfeiter put extra money in your wallet and did that to everybody's wallet. And all of a sudden, instead of walking around with $200 in your wallet, you had 400 and half of it was real, half of it you earned, and half of it you didn't earn. It was fake, but perfectly convincing. Well, all of a sudden, everybody has twice as much money in their wallet. It's no secret. It happened to everybody. So before you even got to Walmart to spend that money, the prices at Walmart would have all doubled. Hmm. 
to the. That's how it works. So I occasionally go to the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis where I track their money supply graph that they put up there. Um, and they, they highlight the difference between uh, M1 and M2 money supply. Now, economists usually look at M2, don't they? Is that the, the primary gauge? The only, the only difference between them is, uh, well, let, let me say what's in common. Uh, they include just cash, so currency and coins. Mm-hmm. Uh Checking accounts, savings accounts, small denomination certificates of deposit, you know, short durations, like next three months, six months. That's M1. And M2 is all that, plus money market funds. Because remember, money market funds uh, weren't really invented until the 1970s and the early 80s. So uh, we didn't need anything other than M1 until then. And then money market funds came along, everybody started using that. So now we have one M1 and M2, but definitely look at M2. Oh, and I, you've talked about how the money supply actually peaked around March of last year. I've seen, I've heard you talk about that. I think I saw a slight uptick over the last uh, month or two. Uh, and I, I think I saw a slight uptick over the last uh, month or two. But generally speaking, the money is the money. It's been trending down, but we're still mm-hmm. at a much higher money supply than we were, say, before the pandemic. Is that accurate? Oh, very much so. The, so we we gained almost 30% and we've lost less than 2%. So it's not even, if you just sort of smooth that out, you could say, all right, well, we, you know, we had a big binge in one direction and then we're kind of stabilizing. But I, I think it's something to consider that, uh, you know, we've had now, so the, the, the data that uh, came out on Tuesday, as you said, was an extremely small uptick in the money supply month over month. But this was the first month in nine when there's been any uptick at all. Normally, there is never, ever, 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 ever a downtick. Mm-hmm. It's so unusual in a growing economy where you know there's always you know borrowing and lending and spending and working going on it's almost inconceivable to even have a single month when the money supply shrinks right now that's an important point because typically the money supply is growing at what five or six percent or something of that nature yeah well you you want it to grow at about the same rate as the economy is growing oh, right okay. you want to have an, an amount of money that is consistent with the amount of goods and services that that money exchanges for so milton friedman's nobel prize winning theory was that you wouldn't have inflation as long as you grew the money supply in perfect harmony with the size of the economy and the government and the american rescue plan and other bank I, well the government and the american rescue plan and other bills pumped a lot of money in the Federal right. Reserve Bank, do you think they've been trying to reduce the money supply? Have those efforts been effective? Well, uh, certainly the money supply has been coming down during the time that they've been raising interest rates. So, you know, I'll give them credit for it. Uh, you know, you, you never know in a complex world what causes what, but it certainly looks like something they've caused. Uh, one argument in favor of thanking them for it is that we, you know, we can track uh, why the money supply has fallen. And it has fallen because, as I mentioned, M2 includes small denomination, short-term certificates of deposit. So a certificate of deposit is a, a deposit you make at a bank where you can't just walk in there tomorrow and get your money. You commit it for three months. But three months is a short period of time, so that's they that's considered to be essentially like money. Mm-hmm. But if you were to go into a certificate deposit, say, of two years, now that's not counted as money anymore. That's an investment. And what's happened is with interest rates as high as they are and ordinary Americans who 
you know, 15 until about 15 years ago, we're used to leaving money in a bank or in a money market fund and, you know, making a decent little income on it. You know, for, well, for the last 15 years, you've gotten, it just rounds to zero. I mean, you might, you might as well have just kept the money in a mattress. Why put it in the bank? Well, all of a sudden, for some households, the first time in their lives, it's, you know, oh my God, I'm, I'm getting interest from banks. Uh, I'm not going to let this chance go away. So I'm going to lock it in. People are not spending the money. They're investing the money. And investing is a wonderful, prudent thing to do. That's great. I applaud it. The problem is it shrinks the money supply. And if that money is not perfectly liquid, then you don't have the option necessarily to buy two shirts at Walmart. You're just going to buy one. And so the price of shirts is going to go down a little bit. So that's why an increase in the money supply leads to inflation and a decrease in the money supply leads to deflation. So Don, the I believe you had said that with when the money supply peaked in March of last year and and the money supply started going down, that at some point it would take about a year or so for you to sort mm-hmm. of get past the inflation. Or is that still is that still your thinking? Oh, very much so. More well, in fact, more so than ever with the money supply literally shrinking. Uh, so at this point, uh, my model you know, looks at what looks at the change year over year in the money supply, and it projects what inflation is going to be a year from now. And the model is saying that with this negative change in money supply on a year over year basis, mm-hmm. inflation will actually be deflation a year from now. There'll I, be a minus sign in front of it, and not just for a single month. We've had a couple of those already, but I mean for the whole year. And there's just nobody who's prepared for that. Hmm. So we had we saw a, a slight uptick in uh, January, at least on a, a couple of areas. Is that concerning, or is that just part of the the noise of as things are changing? Um, it's the, the the latter, and especially so. Uh, in any economic statistic where you're basically doing a an incredibly elaborate stilted polling process at you know across this entire vast economy there are going to be all kinds of errors and in the real world there are just little fluctuations minute to minute day to day month to month that just don't amount to anything uh if you just step back and take you know say a one year perspective so it doesn't concern me at all uh something that maybe you haven't heard though is the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which uh, creates all these inflation numbers, uh, when they report the January numbers, as they just did in mid-February, mm-hmm. every year they go through a series of process revisions to the way they collect the statistics. And every single one of those revisions made it look worse for January. Mm. And they're all, you know, I under, uh, believe me, as an economist, I understand exactly what they're doing. I understand why they make these revisions. Uh, these are good people. These are honest people. They're not trying to make inflation look better or worse. And these revisions are designed to make everything as accurate as possible. You know, however, uh, you know, in, in the real world, you get, you know, real distortions. It's just like a political poll where if your idea is to get the best possible read of what presidential candidate people prefer, you, you slightly change the methodology. Well, great. Bully for you. You've changed the methodology in a way that makes you think it'll be better, but because it's a different methodology, it's completely not comparable with what you did last month. Mm-hmm. And with inflation, we're looking at comparisons across time. Hmm. Now, over the last week or so, some of the Fed governors have been saying, "Well, it looks like we're going to have to stay strong on the uh, on the inf- on the interest rates. We may have to raise them a bit more than what we thought. We're not going to be able to uh, to uh, roll them back as quickly as we hoped." 
What is your thinking? Is is has inflation generally peaked, and should the Fed be doing anything more, or should it be actually scaling back on its efforts? Uh, I think the Fed has done plenty. Uh, I mean, it's put the money supply in a contracting posture for the first time in history. So, just out of the Hippocratic Oath idea of first do no harm, gosh, guys, maybe you better stop for a while and just. <laughs> see if there isn't some bizarre unintended consequence to this first time ever in history thing that you have just done. Uh, there is that. Uh, and there's the fact that, you know, setting aside, you know, one month and all the crazy statistical process revisions, the reality is that the Fed's preferred measure for inflation peaked 11 months ago in February of last year, and it's been gradually coming down ever since. So, you know, what do you want? Blood, right? I mean, so the problem isn't that inflation is coming down. Do you really want to sort of move it to the next level and say, oh, well, it's just not coming down fast enough? Well, that's like someone who has a really bad headache. And, and 11 months ago, they started taking aspirin and the headache's gotten better for sure, but just not better enough, right? Because when you're in pain, you get monofocused on that one thing in your life. So you take a couple more aspirin and it gets a little better, but it's still not fast enough for you. So pretty soon you chug the whole bottle and you poison yourself. That's what the Fed is risking doing right now. They've done plenty because after all, if you even half agree with me that the thing that caused this was dropping $6 trillion from helicopters sent out by the U.S. Congress to get us out of the COVID lockdowns, if that's what caused this, then it stopped anyway. There has not been a stimulus bill passed now for 23 months. Nobody has gotten a stimulus check now for 14 months. It's over. It's over. The Fed can just stop because before they cause a recession. So in your estimation, should the Fed not only not increase the interest rates anymore, should it begin scaling them back at some point here? I think so. I mean, one, this is, it's a preposterous reality of our lives that we've have a set of you know, unelected bureaucrats in Washington who basically are engaging in price controls uh, where they're controlling the price of money. That's what interest rates are. Mm. And that may, gosh, maybe we should create some you know new uh, unappointed bureaucracy of 17 people uh, who determine the price of soup. You know, why not? Right. So who knows what the right interest rate should be? Who knows what it would be naturally if there were no central banks with following, you know, whatever theory that came from some, you know, PhD economist, you know, like Paul Krugman, right? I mean, this is madness, right? So if you ask me, we've now got the highest interest rates from the Federal Reserve in what, 13, 14 years? Mm -hmm. That has resulted in the highest bond yields in 15 years, we're in a minefield. We don't know where this is going to lead. It might be good. It might be bad. But just stop and take stock. That's my advice. So the uh, the Fed is going to be considering uh, future uh, interest rate increases. And the big discussion that's been going on for a while is, are we going to have a recession, a mild recession, no recession? In your estimation, if the Fed keeps raising interest rates, does that make a recession almost certain? And if they if they don't do anything or they begin to scale them back, do we have a chance of avoiding a recession? Right. Um, 
certainly the Fed could cause a recession if it wants to. So if you know, we can go back to the memories of the early 80s under Fed Chairman Paul Volcker, oh, yeah. where he raised the Fed funds rate to 20% three separate times and caused two very bad back-to-back recessions. So if you want to huff and puff that hard, you can blow the house down for sure. But the kinds of rates we're talking about uh, probably aren't capable of that. And you know, the Fed has been pursuing kind of a scorched earth policy ever since their June meeting, the first time they raised rates by 75 basis points, which was the first time in 18 years that the Federal Reserve's done anything like that. And the economy is actually, by many measures, just getting stronger and stronger. So it seems to be fairly recession resistant. My theory is that because of my monetary argument, my M2 contraction argument, that inflation, which has already been falling for 11 months, is going to continue to fall. And the economy so far hasn't you know, blown over despite all the huffing and puffing. So if inflation continues to fall, the Fed can stop, maybe even cut. And hey, you know, we got through this thing. So I basically completely rule out a hard landing. That's an easy call. Now we can have a debate about a soft landing or no landing. I'm going to be in the no landing camp. But when you're in that debate, you're kind of having an argument about what words. Okay, well, what do you mean by recession? (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, I, I I think we're going to be fine. Did, well, you, did you see that uh, payroll report for January? Yeah, five hundred and seventeen thousand payrolls after the Fed has avowedly tried to cause a depression. <laughs> I mean, my God, this economy's strong. It is. I agree with you. And I, so I hope your vision on it is is correct. So, Don, if if uh, people want to reach out to you, find out more about Trend Macro, how do they do that? Uh, you can email me at don at trendmacro.com. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. And we invite you to visit our website at IPI.org and to sign up if you'd like to receive notices of all of our podcast content and events. If you've enjoyed this podcast, how about giving us a favorable review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform? You can also help sponsor these podcasts by becoming a member of IPI's Giving Society. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time.